Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 155 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, you know what? We're coming up on the third anniversary of the podcast next week. We got a big giveaway I'm going to tell you about in just a second. Um, but today's guest reminds me of why I'm so glad we started this thing. And uh, I was at a conference last fall. And I heard a presentation for the first time ever on big data in the church. Like just, you know, there's all kinds of data because, you know, the internet and the way we, the way life is these days out there and big companies are using it. And the church generally isn't except for Matt Engel and a couple of other people. And after he presented at the conference, I saw him walking out of the event. I was sitting down on the lawn having lunch. I'm like, hey, do you want to come down and sit down with me and have a conversation? So we talked and it was even more fascinating than his talk. His talk was great. And so I said, would you be a podcast guest? So here we are. And I'm going to sit down and have a, like this is going to blow your mind conversation about number one, what big data is. Number two, how much data there is on you. It's going to get creepy. I'm warning you. Okay. Some of you are going to like delete yourself off the internet and go move to a mountain. Um, but hey, this is just the, the world we live in. And then can you use this in your church? I think the answer is yes, or even in your business, absolutely. And we have free resources he's going to show you how to leverage. So it's a great conversation. One of the reasons I'm glad we're doing this. And speaking of the podcast, woo! next week, we are three years old. And guess what? We're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate by giving you a gift. So starting next Tuesday with episode 156, you're going to get free Starbucks every day for a week, okay? We've done this before. We're giving away more Starbucks than ever before. It's our biggest giveaway to date. It's September 12th to 18th. And so details on how to win are in the show notes, kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 155. The quick thing is what you need to do is just follow my accounts on social media. So I'm at facebook.com slash cnewhoff. Uh, I'm the same on Twitter, cnewhoff. On Instagram, it's my full name, Newhoff. All the links are in the show notes. Follow now and turn on notifications so by the time next Tuesday rolls around, you can get some free Starbucks. How does that sound? We're going to do it at random times of the day, random platforms, those three platforms. We're going to give away, um, well, about $700 worth of Starbucks over a week. So uh, you will hopefully enjoy a fine beverage on the podcast. Does that sound good? So thank you so much, listeners. We're at 4.3 million downloads. It's nuts. You guys are amazing. So we're going to celebrate next week. Hey, I want to tell you about something brand new I'm doing this fall. Do you know that the vast majority, in fact, 85% of churches will never make it past the 200 attendance mark? And do you know that the causes are mysterious? Like a lot of people think, well, we're not praying enough. We're not doing this enough. You know what? They're not spiritual reasons for the most part. They're practical reasons. And that's why I'm so excited to be launching a brand new course this fall called Breaking 200 Without Breaking You. Because the reality is I know so many church leaders, and I went through this myself, who when they hit almost 200 in, in attendance or just beyond that, they feel like they're going to have a nervous breakdown. They just can't handle the load of leadership. It's very taxing. And so I'm doing a brand new course called Breaking 200 Without Breaking You. I would love for you to get in on the inside track and you can go to Breaking 200 Without Breaking You and register to be on the insider list. I'll send you free bonuses. You'll be the first to know when the course goes live. And starting today, you can jump onto the waiting list 
at breaking200withoutbreakingyou.com. So excited about that. Also, got to ask you, what are you doing this fall? I know some of you are going to be on the Orange Tour, which is awesome. And if you haven't registered yet, please do so. But how about all of you in the Pittsburgh area? Or maybe actually this is a good reason to make the Pittsburgh stop your tour stop. I know so many of you are trying to transition a church. You're either in leadership at that church and your church is kind of stuck in the past and you don't know how to transition it to the future. Or maybe you're a business leader who's involved at your church and you have the same frustration. You wish your church would sort of get with the program. Well, you know, in 2003, Amplified Church was a dying church. They had shrunk down to 200 people. Uh, Average age was way over 50. And today they are a church of over 2,000 in average attendance. The average age is 35 years old. And Lee Kreitcher has helped turn that church around. And he and his staff are hosting the Future Forward Conference in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, October 24th through 26th, right before Orange Tour comes to their church. So it's just three days. It's going to be an amazing conference. And if you're looking to turn your church around, make sure you visit futureforwardconference.com. That's Future forwardconference.com. It's a conference for church leaders who are determined to think creatively about how to get and or stay connected to the next generation. So that's happening October 24th, 26th, and stick around for the Orange Tour right after that at Amplified Church. uh, That's happening on the 27th. So uh, make sure you check that out, futureforwardconference.com. And also, how about all of you trying to train your volunteers? Are you still doing it the old way? Uh, Because if you haven't yet visited trainedup.church, I would love you to check that out today. Um, One of the biggest challenges all of us face in church is how do you get your volunteers trained. It's just difficult because you can't get everybody together in the same room. People aren't paying attention. Well, what if you took it online and you could see what percentage of your volunteers have actually done the training? Do you know sometimes it can be as high as like everybody? Go to trainedup.church and you'll see that they have training already done for you. So you don't have to record a thing. It's just done. You can send your volunteers there. Or maybe you have some DNA you really want to embed in your in your volunteers. Then you can film your own stuff and upload it there and your volunteers can do the training online. Or maybe you want to, but you don't have the gear. They'll even rent you the gear at a reasonable rate. So check it out at trainedup.church. Now we're going to jump into my conversation with Matt Engel. Uh, He works with Glue, G-L-O-O, and uh, they analyze big data for churches. And I'll tell you, they are a fascinating organization. He also partners with Leadership Network, uh, which many of you are familiar with. And uh, they're also helping churches with big data. And we even break this down to like free data that you can find. Let's say your church has 50 people, no staff. Like, okay, how does big data impact you? Uh, we're going to cover that. So here is a fascinating, like fasten your seatbelts type conversation with Matt Engel. Well, Matt, it's good to be with you today. I got to ask you, what is big data? The idea of big data is really just um, sort of a macro view of a whole bunch of data points all around certain attributes of people. It can it, it can exist in both like structured forms it, as well as sort of unstructured forms. And so really what I like to look at it is it's it's this macro view of a whole bunch of data points that typically are not what I would call stitched together. For example, you as Carrie, your mm. address as in the white pages, plus over here in Twitter, you have this Twitter thing, plus you have a podcast and you're an author those attributes 
are all existing in this big data idea. Rarely, though, are they stitched together that says carry, address, Twitter, author, podcast. Think in terms of that from the big data perspective. So big, and, and this may be a Canadian-American thing. You say data, I say data. I don't know. There's all those little subtle, tiny yep. things that show up once in a while. Is that the American thing, data? Uh, you know, I've heard it. I've heard it data. I've heard it data. I've, I've heard it just Excel files. So <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay, yeah, because I mean, there has never been more information about people like individuals, but also our trends, our habits, our likes, our dislikes than this second. And by the time this podcast airs, there will be even more, correct? Yeah, the, 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 idea, the amount of data on a yearly basis doubles currently. That's Really? That's Every all- single year? So 2017 over 2016 is 100% growth? Exactly. And so it's <sighs> the, the idea of big data is bringing to bear way more patterns that we, we never knew existed. And so that doubling rate means that there's a lot of learning that's evolving uh, right now within ministry. That's fascinating. So big data then seeks to, what, these are researchers, people like yourself, who go into the internet and try to scour this data and bring meaning out of it? Yeah, it, it, and, and, and that's, a, that's a healthy way to put it. It's, it's <laughs> sort of the, uh, the blending of patterns that exist in big data and then the stitching of what I would call research that would say like Pew puts out some research on a certain thing like millennials, let's say. Mm-hmm. And then you start looking at patterns and attributes and data of millennials, tying that to then research and then starting to assess people that are millennials doing certain things. And sort of that nexus point is the convergence of where data actually becomes powerful. It's the insights that's gleaned from just the raw data itself, plus research, plus assessments. That that continuum is actually analytics and insights, and that's the power of leveraging off in the data. Well, I think one of the challenges just right off the bat is we've already creeped some people out. There are people who are concerned about privacy. You know, this this interview and, and even the conversation about data and what's online could go in a thousand different directions. I've seen documentaries on cyber hacking and even encryption, which is a war. I mean, just in the same way that there's sort of a battle on the battlefield in history between what people would consider good guys and bad guys, that battle is now happening on the internet, right? Between good guys and bad guys. Um, Are you talking, when you talk about big data, are you talking about actually like you or people like you putting together, just to pick on me, a Kerry Newhoff composite where there's somebody without my knowledge who's out there creeping and crawling all the information about me as an individual? Or are you talking about figuring out, you know, Trends among authors, trends among podcasters, trends among millennials, that, that kind of thing. Or is it all of the above? Yeah, it, it's sort of a combination of all of the above, right? It's hmm. think Netflix and the displaying of video content relative to the person that's streaming Netflix. Right. It's, it's Facebook's recommendation engine that says, hey, you attended this high school. Well, these 20 other people attended the same high school. Do you know them? It's yeah. Google knowing that when you type in something like, I would like to locate um, dentist office near me, well, it's going to pull up a map 
near you. So there is the, it's sort of that combination of all of them. There's patterns that emerge out of all of that. There's some things that I was digging into from, from the people that follow you on Twitter, for example. Okay. So let's get really specific. (laughs) You're talking about like actual, my 24,000 Twitter followers. Correct. Correct. Uh So disproportionately people that follow you also follow compassion international Hmm. samaritan's purse chick-fil-a when (laughs) you get you get into uh demographics and and you're overrepresented overrepresented with people that are married with kids that Hmm. so it's it's bringing insights into something like that that then how do you steward that it's I, i equate it back to you know, I get this really out of scripture in the book of Nehemiah. I mean, when in, in chapter one, one through four, he talks to his brother and his friends and they give Nehemiah attributes that they observe and report often. They used big data back then walking through the city and looking at all the people and looking at the gates and the walls and and and, and gleaning that data. All they did was say, I saw a bunch of people that were men who looked like this, Nehemiah. The people are in disarray and the gates are burned down. That, that mm. That's big data in the context of, of back in the day. And so we're, we're taking that same approach. How did you figure that out? Your Twitter followers? So the, the manual process, right, is you could do this. You could go into your account and look at all mm-hmm. the people who follow you and just start looking at manually, right? Right, They're just yeah, you could. There happens I, to- I have five weeks where I'm not doing anything, so I can exactly. go through all 24,000 if I wanted to. Yeah, right. yeah, there, there, that's never going to happen. Yeah, there's engines, though, that, that can actually help you do that. And it brings insights into your audience. Mm-hmm. And so in the same fashion, um, again, it's the, the same thing Netflix is doing or Amazon is saying, hey, Matt, you've purchased these three books from right. these three different authors. Based upon people like you, they've also bought these other books. You might right. be interested. So it's the customers also bought. It's like when you go and try to buy a pair of shoes online and you abandon the cart, everywhere you go online for the next week, you see shoes, those shoes or shoes like it, and they're trying to lure you back. Right. But exactly. like what? Okay, just to get real granular, I see the patterns and we all see that every day. It's Netflix, it's iTunes, it's, you know... Apple Music, it's Spotify, it's all those things which have the for you. And you think about that. If they have 100 million users, there's 100 million auto-suggests that are different for, like Netflix is different in every home, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. I'm sure they've got the top rentals and everything that are the same across the board. Those are actual charts, but like recommended for you, your Netflix is going to look different than my Netflix is going to look Correct. different from our, you know, our Hulus will be different and everything. But like, how long did it take you? I'm just, I'm going to drill down and be really granular. Like, what did you use an Excel spreadsheet? Did you use some automated algorithm that searches my Twitter feed? Or uh, did you do it manually? How long did it take you? Like, what? I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. So we, we work with a group uh, based in, here in Colorado. That mm-hmm. this is actually they they do this. This is right. this is a, a reporting mechanism that they do that has an algorithm that that basically mines the data uh, on Twitter and can actually bring insights for people that are looking to steward their capacity in in different ways. Basically, okay. it brings so, insights. So you have the software because of the company that you are with, and yep, and exactly. you're not the only company. I mean, there's lots nope. of companies that do this, I'm sure, which is interesting because I'm Canadian and we don't even have Chick Fil A in my country, but I know where that comes from. I have a lot of right. 
friends in Atlanta and uh, and that area. And I get that. You know, I speak to a Christian audience, and uh, that is Christian chicken. I, I get it. Um, so so you can learn. And and the bottom line, and where we're going with this, I mean, I teed it up in in the introduction is. You can learn a lot about your congregation. You can learn a lot about your community that you didn't think otherwise, which if you can get over the creepy factor, and we'll talk about privacy a little bit more at the end, um, can really help you gain insight. Like, you know, I think about that as a preacher, and I'm trying to read the minds of the people who are in the, in the audience, in the congregation every week, trying to think through the lens of an unchurched person you know, how are they going to approach this? How's a church person? How would somebody who's on the right on the bubble in terms of their marriage or divorce? What about somebody who's single? And, you know, you run your message through a lot of filters, but big data is showing us, no, you can actually know. Like, I think a lot of our, our listeners, a lot of leaders would be familiar with this semi-famous Target story. I forget yeah. what book, was that in uh, Charles Duhigg's Habits? Or I don't know where it was, but it was a story about where Target was using big data a number of years ago, and through different purchases at Target, Target knew that a 16-year-old girl was pregnant before the 16-year-old girl knew she was pregnant. And somehow her father read the email, freaked out if I got the story right. Um, and that was all based on shopping patterns, that pregnant people tend to you know, reach for the avocados and pickles as opposed to um, bananas. I don't know. I can't remember the exact thing, but is that the kind of thing big data will tell you? Like it will tell you you're pregnant before you know you're pregnant? It, yeah. And then the instance is that, that she, she was, she was pregnant. She didn't tell her parents. Her parents then got the, the coupons in the mail for the ah, stuff. Target. That was a story. Thank you. Yeah. And so based on, so Target, for example, has the baby registry, right? You can go to Target, you can register, hey, I'm, I'm pregnant and this is my due date. And here are all the gifts that I would like to have my, my friends that are going to come to the baby shower purchase. Mm-hmm. They also then are beginning to, to, to so they, they got that data. They know when, they know she's pregnant, the person that registered, and they know when she's due. And then what Target's doing is just sitting up at the macro level basically observing all people that do that and saying, okay, there's common patterns amongst, amongst women that registered. And these are the shopping patterns that we see emerge. They're right. buying this statistically significant item tr- trimester one, two, and three. And then what happened in, in this instance is that, that, ch- that 16 year old fell into the, the sequence without registering. And, and the model that they had built was 87% accurate. And so all they're doing is being able to say, hey, based upon people that are five minutes ahead of you that did these attributes, they ended up in this situation or had this outcome. Can we can we reverse engineer that to say this is what they looked like before they registered and this is what they look like after? And in the same way, you know, higher education institutions are doing this with regards to retention of students. If they know a successful student trajectory to graduate in four years equals equals this outcome of success, what did they look like as a freshman? And more importantly, what did they look like before they entered the higher educational institution? And how do they help ensure that that student takes the best path toward graduation? That, so that's, hmm. that's kind of the idea of leveraging data in, in this instance uh, to improve, improve ministry. We, we did it as a pastor at our church in Phoenix. I, I was taking... Um, the idea of we were gathering prayer requests. We prayed every sure. Tuesday staff prayer. Uh, we would get prayer requests. Well, my question was, 
Do we know what's going on in our church besides the macro view? So we started, I, I just took all of the prayer requests, applied a standard naming convention to each of the submissions, and popped it into a word cloud to be able to gain insights on our people. And what we found is we could actually cut the data by, to your point, what does the new person to church pray about relative to somebody who's a member at our church, relative to gender, male or female? And can we see any patterns in that that would allow for us to improve our ministry efficacy to those people? And so that that's kind of the concept that, that, that we're playing in. So you're Bruce Almighty. Basically, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that is that is fascinating. Can can do you remember specifically how somebody who's new to the church would pray differently than a member who's been there yeah. for a while? Like one or two tidbits. Yeah. So um, based upon, uh, I, I can tell you from the the male lens, and and then we were looking at specific oh, wow. age, age range age ranges. So I'll say it was millennial males disproportionately we're praying, uh, we're asking for prayer around uh, finances, jobs, relation, what I'll call relationship. And the other one was this idea of mentorship leadership, hmm. like it was a struggle or a gap somewhere. Um, on the whole, the top two things that popped over, so we had about 1500 prayer requests over three months that I analyzed. And then we did this exercise for two years to wow. see what patterns emerged. And the top two things during the uh, September to November timeframe was marriage, um, marriage and health. Those were the top two things that popped up. And then uh, we then we were looking at it wasn't contingent upon. I held I held the sermon series variables. I held all that mm. constant. But then the unique thing that really started to emerge on us improving our ministry was then come January to March. Finances popped out of the top prayer requests, right around the same number. We had we had about a hundred more uh, prayer requests over that span of time than we did uh, the three months prior. About money. About money. So well, having think, every pastor knows this, having overspent at Christmas, exactly. you know, you better touch on New Year's resolutions, weight, health, right? Oh my right. gosh, it's a brand new year. I got to lose weight. I got to eat healthy, and we're broke. Like, yep. yeah, that is and, isn't that and, interesting. And what what was super compelling though is so that was that was what I would call from the Nehemiah story like that's our people data right that yeah. that's submissions of prayer requests well then I I attach research that says wow in in our sphere of influence in Arizona where we're at the top two things for divorce were intimacy and finances and the top month in which divorces were taking place or d- divorces were happening is the month of February so then, really. Yeah. So we started saying, okay, if we know, and again, we measured this over two years, that this is going to emerge. What we started doing is front loading our ministry to actually teach on healthy stewardship and generosity, not at Christmas, but in November and October, saying the reason why we're talking about this and we're going to embed some classes and programming of, of financial stewardship is because we know, based upon the last two years, this is what's emerged. This is the research and this is the data. And so we were actually able to front load some of that uh, because we were looking to get proactive instead of reactive. Did that make a difference? Our engagement in the classes actually doubled when we moved the class to the front end of the spectrum. You're kidding me. That's amazing. And we were super transparent with with our congregation. We're like, hey, these aren't named people like we're not showing the names of the prayers. We're just saying this is our church 
And last year, this is what happened. And the, the year before that, this is what happened. So this is why we're covering this topic and we're offering these programs and classes right now because we want to potentially avoid the, the next thing. So the interesting part is our prayer requests over that next year did go down in finances during that season. Isn't Same, that interesting? The volume was still constant, but our the number of submissions over that time. Now, correlation and causation, and I get all that stuff, Yeah, yeah. but it was super important for us to be able to say, hey, engagement went up in the class, prayer requests dropped. We think we hit on something right there. That's That's ministry efficacy. Yeah, and I think all of most of us, I think, would agree that prevention is way better than cure. I mean, you can have all the divorce recovery ministries and the post bankruptcy ministries, and those are important. But like, wouldn't we all, and wouldn't the people involved rather have saved the marriage? Wouldn't the people involved rather not have gone sideways financially? That's that's a great use of it. Backing up a little bit, because you know, everybody, we've already touched on it, right? Clearly, marketers and companies. They want to make more money. And so, of course, they're going to try to sell you the shoes you almost bought and then thought, nah, I shouldn't. And of course, they're going to try to upsell you. And of course, they're going to be in your inbox and on your social feed and, you know, whatever they can do to get you to buy, 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 buy. What are some other uses for big data? What 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 other ways is it being used right now? Not we'll get more into the church in a few minutes, but just in the world, like where are yeah. corporations and governments and people taking this? Yeah, so th- there's a couple of different things that I'm that I'm seeing emerge that's interesting. Uh, so predictive modeling and big data have been around for a while. Um, sure, this isn't and, like a 2000s thing. How long? Like since the yeah, 40s, the 50s? Well, no, Nehemiah, like, sure. 90s? You know, 90s? Right, okay. Yeah, right around the boom um, with technology. But um, so predictive modeling is like one bucket, right? And then mm-hmm. and then you also have you also have this idea of the emotional state of people. And so this, okay. this this gets into like the right brain side of your head and sort of is this like, like psychographics the, that kind of yeah, thing like predictive behavior it, it, exactly so you have not okay. just behavior and action but you also now have this emotional state of the person and then you wrap and then so those are two distinct like variables in 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 my head and then the the, the next thing that that I'm seeing emerge is this idea around psychographic clustering it's sort of like how do I say the message of attend attend this thing or buy this product differently to you than you do to me? Same call to action. That's psychographic clustering. So in and, and the synapses in our brains, right, they all fire differently around an image and a message. And that's right. so so being able to stitch not just behaviors and and then also having this emotional sense of like, What's my emotional driver uh, around buying this car or my emotional barrier around buying this car? Plus then a messaging requirement. The stitching of all three of those together to the person is kind of cutting edge, uh, cutting edge thinking. So, yeah, I've actually seen websites and software being developed just through mutual friends that does pretty much exactly what you say. So the email of the future will be, let's say we're all interested in Teslas, electric cars. Who isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but your trigger may be the environment. My trigger may be it's cool. And somebody else's trigger may be it's quiet. All right? Exactly. So no gas engine, the environment, and style. What predictive software would do based on all that information, our patterns, the clicks we've done on previous emails. And I know this is creepy. It's creeping a lot of people out. But you would get a different 
ad that would say, save the planet. Mine might say, your friends will envy you. And somebody else's would say, finally, no more noise. Exactly. That's All designed exactly. to get you to click and buy a Tesla, right? Yep. Yep. That's wow. Exactly. That's interesting. I mean, wouldn't that be great if you could just, as a preacher, I'm just thinking out loud, if everyone had a little translator and like, you, we pray the Holy Spirit does this. And I know we need a good theology around this stuff. And sometimes Absolutely. technology grows faster than theology. But yep. I mean, you, that's sort of the preacher's prayer every morning. It's like, I'm going to say something, but I really hope the Holy Spirit interprets it in you know a thousand different brains. And And I swear, I mean, every preacher would have this where you would say, Somebody says, hey, remember when you said, and I can't tell you the number of times I'm like, I don't think I said that, but I'm not going to correct them. Yeah. Like, that's what they heard, and that's probably what they needed to hear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is a little creepy, and it bends my brain, even as you know, tech up-to-date as I am. It, it freaks me out a little bit. Um, what is people's reaction? I mean, you know, I imagine there's all kinds of strong emotions right now among leaders and listeners. Like, how do people react to this? Because because this isn't the future. This is happening right now. Right? Yeah, this yeah this is happening now. Um, th- you know, th- there's really sort of like three options that you have within this concept. It's like the acknowledgement of the reality that we're in. Right. The 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 fact that nope, I don't subscribe to it at all. This is this is way out of bounds. And then sort of the middle group that's just kind of like, eh, you know, I'm looking for efficiencies on purchasing a book. If that efficiency says that they're going to recommend a book for me that I don't have to search for on my own, I'll take mm-hmm. it. I'll take it. So th- th- I, I think that, that we're starting to see the emergence of the idea that this is sort of the reality that we're in. And how do we as, as leaders begin to operate in some sandbox that allows for us to play and learn through the, through the idea of humility and transparency and mm-hmm. doing that. You know, I, I mean, we've got we've got some churches right now that we're uh, working with with within leadership networks uh, uh, group that are testing this idea. Like, how should we steward this? And if if partitioners and congregants are are writing in that they need prayer on this, we're we're basically helping bring technologies forward that allow us to activate upon what that request was. And st- instead of the thing that we're we've been good at in ministry, which is sort of the moist thumb in the air, hey. We grew. We must be doing well in the sense of but but most of those people just came from the church down the street. We actually didn't reach more people for Christ. We just got more people that were already Christ followers. So those are some of those things that, you know, how do we bring data intelligence into ministry from an efficacy perspective? That's the big idea. And, And we should just acknowledge the realities that we're still we're still in this together and trying to figure it out. Can you use this beyond your congregation as well? So let's assume, okay, you've got data, you're analyzing prayer requests and profiles, you know, you've, everyone's got a database mm-hmm. and you can go through there, see how many teachers there are, how many firefighters there might be, how many stay-at-home parents, you know, the whole deal, how many children under the age of 10 you've got in your church. And you can make some analyses based on that. And we've all done that, even if you're eyeballing lists in Excel. I mean, exactly. everybody does that to some extent. And so this this ramps that up. But, you know, a lot of us who are involved in churches, or if you're a business leader, you're thinking about your customers you want to reach, you don't have data on them, you can't really reach anybody you don't understand. Do you know what I mean? If I don't yep. understand the, the mind of the 30-year-old male who never goes to church and wakes up Sunday morning hungover or perfectly sober and fine and 
thinking I'm going to go to the beach or, you know, we're going to hang out as a family. If I don't understand that person, my likelihood of reaching him is small. So to what kind of data exists on our communities that church leaders can tap into to get a better psychographic of the people that God has placed around them that theoretically we all want to reach? Right. Yeah, that that's super. That's a super good way to put it, because I, I look at it as, you know, if, if each church and each organization that's helping people mm-hmm. just took care of the two miles around their little sphere of influence, imagine the impact that we could have. Right. And that yeah. and it comes back to it's your question. What 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 we're doing is basically bringing those insights forward in this arena. It's largely been held in sort of the top companies and CEOs that, you know, have the capital to be able to do that. So billion dollar companies have done it historically, but the cost of entry you're saying has dropped significantly? It has just because of the advancements in technology. And so now, now we're able to bring sort of that data platform idea to, to all and the, it's really wrapped in the idea of, hey, if, if you if you have some information that says, hey, all of these people are are now bankrupt. Right. Well, if you can understand the patterns that that emerged out of all of those people that had to file bankruptcy, and and understand that pattern of where that what led them to that, can we actually steward people that are beginning to look a lot like those people and actually help shepherd them toward financial? Uh, uh, thriving instead of yeah. instead of the outcome of bankruptcy. Same thing in in marriage and, and divorce. Like if, if people, you know, there's some research out that you know it's sort of the idea of cluelessness is more of the thing around divorce. It's not necessarily the biggies of of you know abuse and and some of those other things. Right. Well, if 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 it's just cluelessness, that doesn't mean it really means that they're you know they're doing things that they don't know actually are leading towards something. In and, other words, they don't even understand they're heading down the road to divorce. Okay. They can't they can't see that six months down the road they're gonna be splitting up assets and arguing over right. custody. Gotcha. Right. And it's sort of the thing wow. that you know, we we get this all the time. It's like in our small group, right? I mean, I had I had friends that I knew deeply that would that came to me and they're like, hey, you know, we just can't make this work. And it's like, man, woulda, coulda, shoulda, if I would have known this six months ago, I would have had a completely different conversation. And we, we do that in ministry all the time. It's like, right. even if you care about somebody else, just caring about somebody, it's like, man, if I would have known this nurse at my hospital was struggling in this, would I have done anything differently six months ago to see right. if I could help? Or friends we've lost to suicide or exactly. other things like that. I get that. Okay. So, Let's assume, and Matt, if I'm wrong, just correct me, but let's assume larger churches, churches of one, two, three thousand people, they can afford consultants, they can afford, you know, and beyond that, tens of thousands, mega churches, giga churches, they can afford, you know, a consultant, they can afford to bring somebody in and spend five grand on data. But let's shrink this way down. And maybe the answer is no, there's nothing out there. But you're a church of 150 people. You have a $300,000 budget. Uh, you're not bringing in a consultant anytime soon. And uh, you haven't exactly got NASA or Silicon Valley sitting in the pews of your church. What is there any tool or any data sources available for the average community that, um, you know, a typical local leader, even a small business leader could tap into to go, hey, this is this is the picture of our community that we're trying to make an impact in. 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. That's actually like that scales, right? It's the ability yeah, to yeah. serve a hundred person church versus the forty thousand person church. And yeah, exactly. That 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 that's actually emerging right now. Like we have Is a couple it? of churches. So they're not that, shut out of the game at this no, point. No, we've got a couple of churches in in very very uh, urban central that are um, you know hundred people or less. That helping bring insights, because again, the question really is, tell me about the people internal and tell me about the city that I should be called to reach. And if we can help that divergence of the gap there, then maybe that's where ministries can actually take a step forward. That that level of insight is super compelling and powerful because we're now identifying the right people with the right message at the right time relative to us serving them instead of doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. I mean, over yeah. the last 30 years, we've seen a decline in religious preferences. Right now, yep. the latest research that I saw is 36% of Americans um, have, have no religious preference at all. They're checking mm. the box nuns. In 1972, it was 5%. Well, yeah. the, largest, the largest classification of people right now in the U.S. is the millennial generation, and they're opting out of faith at a disproportionate rate. Well, I'm with you. I hear that. Yeah. How do we how do we begin to help understand what is what are the requirements of people that we're trying to reach and hold loose how we do ministry, but cling to why we mm. want people to meet, know and follow Jesus. But how we actually deploy ministry is relative to the end person that we want to serve, not our personal preferences. And so that continuum is starting to emerge. And ultimately, all this data and, and all of those things, I actually frame it up more around what I call engagement. If yes. we can actually tr- understand engagement and be able to begin to live outside of Sunday to Sunday or Wednesday to Wednesday and actually understand people are engaging a lot of different attributes. If we have a holistic approach to engagement, now we can glean the efficacy in improving ministry because we can help get them connected to the right things at the right time. So how does the smaller or mid-sized church pastor access those resources? I mean, do they hire you? If so, get ready for 50,000 emails because uh, yeah. they're, they're going to hit you up when they hear this. Like, yeah. what, like are there, is this, is this like just general information that's available online and they need to find the right website? Do they hire a consultant that's affordable? Like what, are there, is there an app? Is there software yeah. they can buy? Is it Google Analytics? Like what? What I know that's all website stuff, but like, how are these small church leaders and small business people starting to tap into this kind of information, even at ele- elementary level, to know? Guess what? There's a high proportion of divorced people in their 30s who are in financial problems and have a substance abuse problem, and they're on our doorstep. Right. Yeah. That. So. So our our group is called Glue. G L O O. Mm-hmm. And and our website, it, it, like our commitment is basically to serve what we would call a champion, in this case, churches, okay. yeah. to basically bring this idea of exponential technologies to help them scale their mission. Like hmm. at the end of the day, if we can help do that, like we, we can make some grounds actually in a positive direction, we can move the needle in, 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 in a healthy way. So um, I would say there's that, that there's that place that that we're that we're at and then the other piece is the emerging of of we're closely linked to leadership network that's where you and i met and yeah yeah we're we're basically incubating sort of the white paper think through like multi-site you know 15 years ago when nobody knew what to call even is it a campus pastor is it a pastor is it a (laughs) multi-site like 
think through that. And that's kind of on the cutting edge of what we're doing uh, with LN through through a couple of projects that we we call them accelerators that we're bringing forward this type of idea and capacity saying, hey, what should what should we do as church? Not big or small, but just church overall, because the data transcends socioeconomic strata. It transcends uh, any any geo issues that might be involved. And and so back to the the point, it, the hundred person church that could see five additional people come to that church for the right message that would actually move them toward health and ongoing engagement with that that church. That's a win for them. At the yeah. same as as four hundred people showing up to a date night at a church, you know, because they're they're putting it on and they have the capacity to run a big a big event right. like that. So right now, access is through brokers like yourself or Leadership Network. And we'll put all those links in the show notes, by the way, so you guys can check that out. And I'll give the exact link at, at the end of this um, podcast. So, um, But probably do you... And the Leadership Network's amazing. I mean, we met yeah. at the Leadership Event, uh, Leadership Network event in Birmingham at Church of the Highlands last year where we had lunch. And that's where I first got tipped into the fact that we're using this kind of information in the church today. So that's sort of the level it's at. And I'm glad to know that, that you know, I'm sure there are some smaller churches and midsize and large churches that would want to get in touch, which is great. Do you see it coming to the point where there will just be, you know, like there's a Googleability to this stuff that, you know, you think about it 30 years ago, this idea, you know, we, we most of our parents had encyclopedias in their home. And if you wanted to look up what a duck-billed platypus was, you had to, you know, get the volume with D in it and find DU. And then, you know, you had a little article and now, gosh, there must be 30 million results with duck-billed platypus on it, right? Like you can find anything anywhere. Are we going to get to the point where psychographics and um, particular profiling information is available anywhere or at selected portals in the next five years? I think so. I, the mm. uh, sort of the if I had to sort of guess where this is emerging toward, and some of the thinking that's starting to take place is the idea that that the most disruptive um, thinking right now is what we would call platform thinking. Okay. Most so most things have been built on a pipeline distribution model. Think think Uber to the taxi cab company. Think YouTube to network television. Right. Think Airbnb to hotels, right? That's dis- th- those types of platforms are disrupting the pipeline economies that we've been accustomed to. And, and, and a lot of that is driven often sort of data intelligence. And I think that we're going to see this emergence of platform thinking and ministry to actually unlock what wants to happen in the church. We have so much social capital and latent energy that's stored in the church that's not being activated upon that if we could actually get the right information to the right person, chances are they want to help somebody else. And if we can do that well, now we're actually fulfilling sort of the the idea of ongoing discipleship and relationship with people. The, the, The thing that I think we're starting to see is this technology has been largely, um, disintermediating relationship. And and one of the things that I've heard in the past, uh, information plus application equals transformation. And really, that's not the right sequence. It's actually information plus application times relationship equals transformation. And we we need a technology that actually reinserts big data plus a caring pastor equals ongoing engagement, you know, um, good content, without a person doesn't equal mentorship. 
But imagine mm. if you insert a person into that equation, how can we begin to reconcile technology in support of relationship, not disintermediating it from it, all powered by leveraging a, a good, what I would call know and match. The better, Carrie, you know me, you're already matching me in your head with something. How yeah. do we move that to a catalytic uh, event in which now my ongoing growth happens because you knew me and you matched me with something well? That's really interesting. And again, that, that gets us into a field where we talk about the use of technology for good or for bad. And clearly this much information can be misused as easily or even more easily than it's used well. Um, do you worry about technology outpacing our ability to use it? You know, you, you hear the old line that the problem with technology is we are its parent, but it's also our child. There's a raging debate in AI. Yeah. Um, and singularity about whether or not we even know how to use this or where it's going and we're creating things that we haven't fully, you know, it's the old Frankenstein story, really. Yeah. It's what it is, we develop a monster that that ends up doing something we entirely didn't design it to do. Do you think that's a real danger here with this information? Yeah, you know, I look at it as, as sort of operating from the idea of abundance of people and doing good. Mm. You know, I, I get that there's disruptive scarcity models and people can 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 move into that mindset. But but so far, the, the whole idea of going down to people in and of themselves do have a desire to do good for somebody else. And so if we can just help wrap the right technology architecture around that, that that has what I would call to your question good governance. I mm-hmm. think that that's that's the that's the thing that we need to land a plane on, and then just sort of have an open-handed posture that says, you know, my spiritual formation isn't contingent upon my local church. My spiritual right. formation is engagement with a variety of different things that interoperate within that concept. And so governance around all of that interoperability is really important. And so that that's that's where I would say. Am I worried about it? No, because I would be just as worried about somebody that comes to like if I go to my lead pastor and say, hey, I'm struggling with pornography. Are they going to use that maliciously against me? I would hope Mm -hmm. not. But in the same context of being, you know, of having that that type of capacity known for people, I just, you know, my small group leader saying, hey, I'm really struggling. My wife and I are fighting like what's I'm not sure what to do could be misused in the same capacity as that person knowing a little bit more about me going, Hey, we might all want to do a marriage thing here over the next four weeks. We're going to read this book. So, yeah. And I'm with you on that. I mean, I think there is an an inevitability to the age we live in that this is happening and Amazon is using it and Uber's using it and, you know, every marketer under the planet and anybody with dollars in business is using it and the church can ignore it. And sometimes the church is a little bit late to the party on this stuff, right? Like we're, we're the ones who are more conservative, even even honestly, churches that would be known as progressive in terms of the changes they've made. This is probably still breaking new ground. My personal theology of technology is theology isn't good or evil. It just reveals and amplifies what's already there. Right. Like you think of podcasting. You can download right. a lot of podcasts that frankly you would never play for your children, probably are not going to help you. And uh, probably are not adding a lot of good to the world. It's like Facebook can be used for good or evil. Email can be used to abuse people or can be used to build people up. And, you know, text messaging, you can encourage people with it or you could break up relationships and 
you know, insult people with it and harm people with it. It's it text, texting is just a forum for human communication. And, and, you know, I would think that this would be in the same category as well, that you can, if this helps more people keep their families together, get closer to Christ, help us reach more people, make an impact on the community. Right. I, I tend to agree with you. Why not use it? Yeah. And, and the interesting part, even in that is, you know, you have churches that and other other organizations that have Facebook accounts, that have Twitter accounts, that have Instagram yeah. accounts, that have all of this stuff that other that other companies are leveraging often because now anybody who follows Carrie on Twitter now is attached to Carrie. And so in instances that they want to sell more product, well, look at all of these people that are doing these attributes because of Carrie. The churches are doing the same thing and sort of feeding the beast. And so now it's an opportunity to say, well, how can we actually advance the kingdom from a ministry perspective, leveraging similar capabilities and capacities? Because it's not transformational money that's the problem. It's actually just unlocking capacity that sits that sits latent in, in the pew. And if we can do that well, ministries will improve. Yeah. Are there you gave us some really good examples about how your church in Phoenix was using prayer data to even change the timing of series and, and prevent problems, um, both relationship problems and money problems. Any other examples come to mind of how churches in this experimental sort of beta age are are using big data to forward ministry? Yeah, you know, and, and again, I, I, I talk of, of data as sort of that engagement opportunity, right, is how right. do we increase gap engagement? And so, yeah, I mean, one of the things that, that I think we're starting to emerge is this idea of how, how do we better steward our capacity of just serving the people that we have by asking hmm. questions? Hmm. It's, it's odd to me that, that for a long time, we rarely ask questions about things that we're doing. And then when we do, we somehow like take offense to it. It's like, nothing's good or bad. Let's just acknowledge what's, what's taking place. So in, in sort of this developing a culture of being just data informed, like I've been accused of being mm. data driven and I actually am not, I'm just data okay. informed. I allow God and intuition to be a present at the table, but I'm also going to acknowledge the reality that just because I talked to five people that said I did a great sermon doesn't mean that the, the thousand people that were attending the church really liked it. And mm-hmm. so being able to actually develop an idea of responsiveness and engaging with our congregation and asking the question, hey, how was this good, bad or indifferent, you know, on a score? And then would you bring a friend? Those two basic questions actually allowed for us to pivot ministry. And once we we didn't keep it locked in internal either, like we shoved that the results back out to the congregation so that they could see one Hey, we take your opinions and your and your feedback seriously. And two, we're going to activate upon it. So that then that allows for, you know, the the 65-year-old person that was offended when we had a, you know, a comedian on stage to the to the 30 person that's like, yes, I would bring, you know, 80% of the the millennials that attended this thing said they would bring a friend. That's right. a win. Like, and and how do we begin to do that well in acknowledging all the realities? We we have to serve people. But we have to remember that there is an opportunity for us to increase engagement by knowing our people well and matching them with something. So just to go back to something just before we leave it and then move on to a few other things. Um, obviously, people can check out Glue and what the Leadership Network is doing with you guys if they want to pursue that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, people can definitely tap their database and maybe use it a little bit more. Most of us are on some kind of church database. There's way yeah. more information in there than we ever tap into other than, you know, email addresses and phone numbers. Um, but you got, you got some information there. If somebody wanted like, you know, Google has Google trends, for example, if you want to know what's trending. Um, and most people don't even realize that Google has that. And are there other public databases if somebody wants to learn more about their city, their community, their county, their region? You know, I used to back in the day when the internet was on dial-up, I would go and look at the government website right. and try. There's all kinds of information there about the people you're trying to reach and how many have kids and where they live and the socioeconomic status of every postal code or zip code. Um, what? What is out there that would be easy that maybe church leaders are overlooking right now in terms of data that's available to them for free or a nominal cost that they could tap into today? Yeah, that's that's great. The 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 big ones you named and and we we do overlook them. It's like we're just afraid to go out and actually look at like census data. The yeah. census populates information of projected projected growth of 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 the U.S. and yeah. so. I mean, there, there have been a couple of churches that we've connected with that I'm like, hey, just go look at this website and it's going to tell you that you're in an area that's going to decline according to their projections by 3% over the next year. That's just don't, reality. Don't plan a campus there, people. Right. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Or maybe you should. Here, maybe you're called to. But yeah, this area over here is going to grow and it's growing by 12%. So um, the sense that to me, it's some of that census data, town level data that actually exists that we should take advantage of. The other ones I, I agree with you is, is Google is sitting on a lion's share of some of this data that's available for you if you just start looking for it in that capacity of like projected growth of my area, you know, population density with regards to faith. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of free uh, URLs um, that have like data, data USA is another good one. They have hmm. just rolled up data on, on cities. And so things like that, we just, for some reason, you know, in seminary, we're not taught data intelligence except outside no. of the book of numbers. And, and that doesn't get us very and far. Most of so. us skip that part of numbers. <laughs> exactly. Right. We really so. do. How many people? What? Okay. Uh, can I ask you for a favor, just sure. for listeners? Could you, could you put together for the show notes, like a top five free websites people could go to, including like U.S. Census data, and we'll include a Canadian link as well. And then that other, you know, any trend stuff, just some simple stuff that sometimes we do overlook because I would hope as a bare minimum action step that a lot of leaders would start to take a a serious look at their community and the people that they're called to reach and the people we're called to serve because a lot of that information's there and we pretend it's a mystery and it's not. Would you be willing to do that? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be Okay, we're going to put Matt's list in the show notes. So there you go. Matt, that that's fantastic. Um couple of other questions for you. Privacy. We've been dancing yeah. all over this one. Um, some people are creeped out. I'm sure there's one or two listeners who will probably delete all their social media profiles and disappear from the internet and go live on a mountain with no connectivity, which is great, except you miss all the people that, you know, God has put us in in our generation. Um, what, what do leaders need to pay attention to in terms of privacy? And then I'm going to ask you a second question. Do you have any concerns that like the age of privacy is just gone. Like, is that just an antiquated concept or, or where is this going with privacy and how should a church handle that ethically or a business? 
Yeah, that's great. I, I think one just out the gate is that churches need to begin to think about what their privacy policy is with regards to their congregation. That, that's a topic that really hasn't been discussed at a, at, a, at a fantastic rate that it probably needs to begin to be discussed. Because like you said, most of that, most of their own internal data is, is, is real people. And at the end of the day, it's a person that we care about. I want to help, help more people meet no and Jesus. If we can do that, like we're winning. Yeah. And the other, the other piece to then that, that question is, 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 is am I concerned? You know, it, it is, a, it's a delicate balance. I look at it as more as it's trust and relationship. If I have trust and relationship, then I'm okay. And I'm going to start hitting the, I accept on the terms and conditions of everything that you do. And right. so when you install a new piece of software, you're clicking, I accept. If you don't click it, then you don't get it. Um, it's the apps that you download. It's, uh, you know, that stuff goes somewhere. So it's it's really a personal decision, in my opinion, on what my extent of my willingness to be out there is. Mm-hmm. And 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 that that's where I... I think sometimes we think privacy and we want to make this macro decision for everybody. And it's really, no, if, if you choose to engage in it, I mean, I just saw somebody just sent me a screenshot of a, a TV that they just got and plugged in. And what, and, and in order to connect it up to the internet, you have to subscribe to their terms and conditions. And sure enough, right there, it says, Hey, we're doing this to help ex- increase your experience on your TV by making sure that we know what you're watching when, so we can recommend the right things to you. Like, if you don't want it, then don't buy the TV and don't hit I accept. Those, those are the things that it's kind of like, I personally have just sort of embraced the idea that I'm going to trust the organizations that I trust and I have a relationship with. And, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And it is a different day and age that we live in. And, you know, this is a, this is a good note and maybe this exists right now, but I'm sure there are some organizations like Leadership Network or other parachurch organizations that could probably develop sort of boilerplate standard yep. terms of use and uh, terms and conditions for churches, because otherwise we're all spending, you know, tens of thousands of dollars right. on legal fees one by one by one. But if somebody creates that, makes that either free or, you know, accessible at a, a small rate, that would be, because most of that stuff's, I mean, I was a lawyer, it's, most of that stuff's boilerplate, right? Yeah. And that's one of the things that we at Glue are even doing with churches is like, hey, Brilliant. This is what this is what you should probably have to help keep things in containment and have good good transparency, good optics into what's going on. And that's so that I agree with you. If churches don't, that's going to be an emergent thing because it's well, just, just a reality. Just like what we all did with kids and student ministry over the last twenty years, you know, there was almost no regulations around right. that. Now everybody's got a really clear policy, yep. excellent training, a vetting of all volunteers, et cetera, et cetera, and that's become standardized. I can see we're going to have to move in that direction for all churches. And again, the smaller the church, the more important it is to have shared resources that we can tap right. into, which, which you know, I'm a huge fan of. Um, okay, all this new technology creates all kinds of philosophical, like philosophy and theology should should move as swiftly um, to cover this. But do you think, I mean, you know, there's the sovereignty of God, the human spirit, um, free will. Does human unpredictability, in your view, trump data projections? Like, am I just a very predictable person that is going to make because I you know I am fairly predictable like where does where does free will human unpredictability this you know obviously the sovereignty of God but how does how do those issues play out with this like are we really that predictable 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I think we fall into camps that do say that we are pretty much, you know, creatures of habit. And yeah. and I, I think you even see this in ministry, right? You have the churches that were birthed in the 50s that do something very different than the churches that are birthed now. Mm-hmm. And you have, I think the key, the key component really around sort of predictability or not is, is the idea of it's more process than it is function. It's, it's yeah. there. Everybody operates really in a similar process. I believe that's partly because that's how God designed us to be is mm-hmm. that we, we all have opportunities to engage in certain things. You, you can choose to go right or you can choose to go left. The process, though, by which you got there is pretty it's pretty much the same. You know, we have what we talk about is there's a there's a growth process that basically everybody follows. And and we spent about five years interviewing what we would call champions across the across the country to understand how do people grow? What is the growth process? And it, we, we boil it down to four things. Connect with people. You know them, you match them and then you catalyze the catalyzing is the learn, practice, teach that Jesus taught us. As soon as we learn, we practice, and we teach it. That that invigorates us to go then and reconnect with somebody else to know them, to match them, to catalyze them. So, what does matching mean in that? M- matching is the equivalent of of you knowing me and saying, "Hey, Matt, now that I know you, you should really maybe read this book, or or have you talked to this person? This would be good for you." So it's it's really the match. The match is relative to increasing your knowledge base of of the person. Oh, so okay. it's like, it, um, it's, it, so you it, know it, them. Hmm. It's the recommendation engine of personal growth. It's Netflix person to person. Fascinating. So okay. I think that's how I see it is, is we're predictable in our growth processes like that, but unpredictable in the sense of you might choose left, you might choose right. There are, it, it's not the, the distinction I make is it's not prescription. It's just prediction. And those are two different things that we have to we have to get at. And yeah, I think that's a good distinction. It's also description of human behavior. Anybody exactly. who studied history knows, you know, we make the same mistakes generation to generation to generation. And you know, last century there were wars to end all wars, and they didn't. And you know, the human condition is the human condition, and right. we're trying to figure out how to navigate it. Well, I'll tell you, this conversation has kept me on my toes intellectually. This has been <laughs> been brain bending. And really, really helpful. Anything else on a really practical, nitty-gritty level for the average leader that they should do or could do right away that would help them just better serve the people in their organization, in their church, but also people in their community? Yeah, so it's really, to me, it's, it's the power of, of big data goes only so far. It still comes down to the person and knowing mm. the person better. And that takes a posture of humility and asking questions, but also being able to make sure that you're not just consuming from your people, but you're giving value back. And so when we can start to show that value of, hey, I asked you these three things about this event that we did at our church here. Here's the results of that. And based upon that, this is what we're going to do to improve our ministry with regards to this thing. That that posture of being a constant learner instead of a teacher is sort of one thing that we have to continue to wrestle to the ground oh, because I mean we're we're blessed and cursed because success breeds complacency, but complacency breeds failure. So if mm. we're not willing to be in the posture, as a friend of mine at at, uh, at North Coast said, you know we watch, we listen, and we learn. 
since you can't know it all yourself, anyone who thinks they do is destined for mediocrity. And, hmm. and I just think that that piece of like, let's watch, listen and learn, it has been has been sort of largely mis, misguided in some capacities because we think we're doing well, but that's because we do the moist thumb in the air. So if we can take yeah. that posture of seeking and soliciting feedback on the macro level, keeping it tied to the person, we're in a, we're in a good spot. So maybe it's that posture of humility, that posture of learning, and then go to the free websites that we're linking in the show exactly. notes. And you can start there and just look yep. at your database and see what you can learn about your people uh, yep. before you create that next series, before you design your next ministry season. That's a, that's a really good point. And I think the practical yep. example of like moving money teaching to November um, right. you know, for your church, for your church, yep. that was a very real thing. And moving, I, it's funny, I was thinking about kicking 2018 off with a relationship series. And I'm like, I don't know whether that belongs in January, but maybe it does if the divorce rate spikes in February. Right. And, and that's know, where, who knows? It, it, it's the, it's, it's my, it's my desire to just say, tell me about the people, tell me about the city, acknowledge the gap. And how do we live in the gap? Mm. Let's close that as much as we can. Cause scripture is pretty clear. Like we, we should own the places that God's planted us in and acknowledge yeah. that we all have room to grow and, and it, being able to do that through the lens of increasing engagement. I think we're in a good, good spot. This is really what missionaries have been doing for centuries. Right. <laughs> really. If you think about it, study a culture, yep. reach a culture, and yep. we just get to do it in a different way. Last question. When you sure. uh, think way out in the future, five years, and that's a long time in terms of technology, at the edges of your brain, how do you think some churches might end up using big data down the road? What do you think are, from what we can see right now, some of its furthest reaches? Yeah, I, I think I think long term, where where churches are going to move toward is is this idea that they can they can unlock the small group leader to know a little bit more about the the people in the small group to actually steward the ongoing relationship of those people. Mm. It's the, it literally is the equipping of the saints to do ministry. Like, I just think that there's a, there's sort of what I, what we call like a core interaction um, that scales. And it's the fact that people want to help people. So they provide value and that feedback coming back is the thing that spins and the big data powers that engine that allows for me to, again, it comes back to our terminologies of know and match. The better we can do that through the context of equipping the saints to do the work, the better off we are as churches to be able to actually increase engagement in the church. And I, I see that as being the emerging idea here out of, out of this stuff. Well, I think that's a pretty noble cause as opposed to just trying to upsell me on whatever I want to buy, right? Right. Like that's right. again, it's it's technology is neither good or evil. It just reveals and amplifies what's already there, and so we might as well use it for good, and we might as well use it to advance the mission. Matt, this is fascinating, and I imagine we will be having this conversation again in a year or two, as we have twice the knowledge about ourselves that we do right now. Which that fact alone bends my brain. Uh, yeah. But people are going to want to find you online. So again, we'll link to the show notes. But um, just quickly, a couple of key websites and where they can find you. Yeah, so our website is uh, glue, G-L-O-O dot U-S. And okay. the other place I would say is going to be um, Leadership Network and and their blogs because they're on the front end of this with us in partnership. Mm-hmm. And then, Carrie, I know that you're, 
your head's deep in this stuff too. So I would imagine you're going to be pushing stuff out. But yeah, our, our website's just uh, gloo.us and then the, the leadership network, leadnet.org. That sounds great. And uh, Matt, thank you so much. This has been um, exciting, overwhelming, and kind of fun, actually. Yeah. Really fun. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I'll tell you, I totally had to stay strapped in for that conversation. I mean, does that not bend your mind? And I know some of you are going to be, you're literally going to like delete all your internet accounts. I get that. I mean, I, I feel like that way too. On the other hand, here we are. God made you born in this generation. And, uh, you know, we're alive. And what are you going to do? Because business is using this. Why don't we use it at the church? So if you go to the show notes, go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 155. We've got those links we talked about in the show. And there are some fascinating sites. And guess what? Fits your budget. It's free. So go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 155 for more on that and all the links that we uh, talked about, including that top five list. And uh, in the meantime, we're back next week with uh, a conversation with Wit and Willie George. 30 years ago, Willie George founded Church on the Move, an innovative church that's making a big difference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But like many leaders, it was like, okay, I'm not a, you know, I got to pass this off. How am I going to do it? And so in August, he handed things over to his son, Wit. And I sat down with them literally three days after that transition took place and interviewed them both live on stage at Church on the Move as part of the Seeds Conference. Here's an excerpt from that conversation, which will be next week's podcast. If God's called you and he's going to put you in that position, then it's going to happen. Hmm. And you can rest in that. Like, you don't have to make it happen. I like the way Ed Young used to say it, let the game come to you. Right. Just sit back be faithful where you're at and let the game come to you. You don't have to try to drum it up or build a platform or build a following. Hmm. If God's got his hand on you, it will happen. Jesus said, I will build my church. That was an amazing conversation with some great principles and also some wonderful moments. So uh, make sure if you're a subscriber, you get it for free next Tuesday. And thank you to our partners who brought this episode to you today for trainedup.church. Also, please check out futureforwardconference.com and it is probably worth flying to Pittsburgh for and you can stick around for the Orange Tour right after as well. And uh, make sure you're first to find out about the new Breaking 200 Without Breaking You course I'm offering this fall. Go to breaking200withoutbreakingyou.com. And next Tuesday, we are back with the third anniversary giveaway. Yep, free coffee for a week. How does that sound? Starbucks is going to be awesome. Also, because you listen to the end, I know you are very special people. There's another prize pack that I won't tell you about until next Tuesday. It's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) Okay, so uh, if you subscribe, you get that all uh, next Tuesday. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being so kind. And I really do hope that today's episode has helped you lead like never before. We'll see you next Tuesday. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.